It was in the fall of 2002 that a priceless Venetian statue of Adam at the New York Metropolitan Museum was found smashed into pieces on the floor. It had evidently broken while no one was in the room. And at first, the museum curator assumed it was vandalism. They assumed that someone had pushed the statue over. But upon later investigation, they discovered that, according to Time magazine, that the statue had buckled of its own accord. That it wasn't the result of vandalism, that it just basically toppled over and smashed into pieces on the floor. And many people grieved this priceless 15th century statue that no one could repair. And they were devastated. And it reminds me as I think about that story of what one person said about our world in which we live. They said our world specializes in producing broken people. And we discover that once broken, there's no power on earth that can put us together again. And you know, I kind of agree with that. Whenever you look at our world, you see brokenness everywhere. We seem to specialize in broken people and broken places. We see broken lives and broken relationships, broken communities, broken bodies, broken governments, a broken world. And we see in so many lives a broken relationship with God. And it can be so discouraging because you feel powerless and helpless to do anything about all the brokenness that you see out there. But you also feel powerless and helpless at times with the brokenness you see in here, in your own life. Maybe that's why we prepare our children for the real world by teaching them some of these nursery rhymes. Remember that one? Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. Because we want to prepare them for a world of broken places and broken people. And at times we can feel helpless about the brokenness that we see in us and that we see around us. As a matter of fact, maybe this morning I'm looking at some people who are struggling with brokenness. Maybe for you it's a broken marriage and you don't know what to do about it. Maybe it's a broken relationship with a child that has gone astray. Or maybe for you, it's a broken relationship with a parent who wasn't there for you. Or who didn't live up to their basic responsibilities as your parent. Maybe for you, it's a broken community and you see something in our community where people are hurting. And you say, this isn't right and that brokenness that you see, maybe it's human trafficking, or maybe it's the homelessness around us, or maybe it's drug addiction or alcohol addiction, and, and it's breaking your heart to see that brokenness in our community. Maybe for you, it's brokenness whenever you go to work. There's no joy anymore. There's no peace. There's no satisfaction. You dread every Monday morning. Don't say amen here. Especially if you work at the church. Don't say amen here. But for you, maybe it's broken in your life, a broken purpose and broken significance and, and a broken sense of success and what that even looks like. And I know as a church, we have sensed brokenness around us in our community with so many people who don't have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. 
Within driving distance of this church, there are over 300,000 people who do not have a personal relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And you know what? When you feel that brokenness, brokenness can lead you to despair. Brokenness can lead you to a point where you feel there's just nothing that you can do about it. You just give up. You say, I've tried everything I know to do. Or who am I in light of such great brokenness? There's nothing I can do. I'm small. I'm limited. I'm, I'm unable to fix what I see that is broken out there or in here. Brokenness can lead to despair. It's why many... Christians get discouraged. It's why sometimes we even give up on coming to church and reading the Bible. And we, we just get discouraged. In fact, the brokenness of our world is one of the reasons many people give for why they no longer believe in God. How can I believe in a good God when there's such brokenness in the world? How can I believe in a good God when there's so much evil and hurt and suffering in the world? And sometimes people see the suffering out there and they can't figure out if God is real, then why does he not do something about it? Or they see the suffering in their own lives, their own relationships, and they say, where's God in this? Brokenness can lead to despair. But brokenness can also lead to prayer. You see, we, as followers of Christ, believe that God does exist. And that God does care about the brokenness in our world. God does care about the brokenness in our own personal lives. And as the song we just sang tells us that God is still on the move. That God is still at work. And often God wants to allow the brokenness of our world to break us. And to drive us to our knees where we recognize our need for Him. Our dependence on Him. Can I tell you, if you're questioning if God is at work in the world, yes, He is, and He's often wanting to fix the brokenness of the world by using you to point other people to Himself. Or He's wanting to use you to help alleviate the pain and the problems of this world. And God is wanting to use us as a church, we who are followers of Christ, who band together in this small community we call Fort Caroline Baptist Church. And he wants to use us as a force for good to fix the brokenness in the world. And we believe that we have a God who is able to fix broken people and broken places and broken things. We're living proof, aren't we? We are testimony that he is doing that. I know the nursery rhyme says all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again, but it didn't say anything about the king himself. And I can tell you this about our king. He's in the business of rebuilding broken lives. And he wants to work in your life and he wants to work through your life. He wants you to not not only know that you matter to him, but you matter for him in our world today. And that's why we're starting this new series, just looking a few weeks at an Old Testament character named Nehemiah. And so if you want to, you can open up or turn on your Bible uh, to Nehemiah chapter 1 as we begin this series today called Nehemiah, Rise and Build. And we're going to see that our lives intersect right where Nehemiah's life intersected with the plan of God that Nehemiah was confronted with brokenness in his culture in ancient Israel. 
And so God wants to connect with us in our day to fix the broken things that we see around us. And Nehemiah is a great example that God can take a nobody. God can take just an individual and God can use them in a powerful way. Because really, the memoirs of Nehemiah, we call the book of Nehemiah, really aren't about Nehemiah. The, the book of Nehemiah is not about a great man named Nehemiah, although he was great. No, the book of Nehemiah is really about a great God in whom Nehemiah trusted. A covenant-keeping, promise-keeping, powerful, miracle-working God who chooses to use human beings like Nehemiah and like you. So this morning, don't write yourself out of the story that God's trying to write you into. God sees the brokenness in your life, and he sees the brokenness in your world, and he wants to use you as a part of his plan to alleviate that brokenness. And just like Nehemiah had to learn to submit to God and humble himself before God and lay his plans before Almighty God, we have to do the same thing as well. And just like there came a point in time where God said to Nehemiah, now it's time to rise and build, actually rebuild, I want you as well today in the 21st century, God says, to look to me, to talk to me, to pray, to trust me. And in time, I'm going to show you how I want you to rise and build. Brokenness can lead to despair, but it can also lead to prayer. And prayer is just talking to God. It's taking what we're dealing with to God. God, this is what I see. This is what I feel. This is what I fear. This is what I'm experiencing. These are my hopes, my dreams. These are my concerns. God, I'm just going to bring it to you in prayer. And sometimes people ask me, Ricky, how does prayer work? And I'm just going to be flat out honest to you. I don't always know how prayer works. It's a mystery to me how that little me and little you can talk to Almighty God. But here's what I've discovered over the years of my walk with Christ. I don't know how prayer works, but I know this. People who work prayer discover prayer works. People who don't just talk about prayer, who don't just read books on prayer, who don't hear sermons on prayer, but people who actually take their lives to God in prayer discover prayer works. I don't know how electricity works, but we're not going to sit in the dark this morning. I'm going to enjoy the benefits of electricity, and I don't know how prayer always works, but I can promise you this, if you work prayer, if you talk to God, if you develop a prayer life, you'll discover prayer works, because it's connecting you with a God who hears you, who cares, and who wants to align your heart and your priorities with His and that's one of the things that we discover today as we look at Nehemiah chapter 1. We see Nehemiah going to God in prayer with the brokenness of his own heart, the brokenness of his fellow people, the Jewish people, and the brokenness of the city of Jerusalem, that ancient city of Jerusalem. Now here's the history part. The history part is you need to remember that God chose the Jewish people when he called Abraham to be his Abraham, I'm going to give you descendants, and through your descendants, I'm going to give you a land. And in that land, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to prosper you. And through you, the whole world's going to be blessed, because through you, through your descendants, I'm going to send the Messiah. I'm going to send the Savior through the Jewish people. You who are no people, I'm going to make you a people. And when I give you that promised land, 
Because right now you have nothing. But I'm going to give you your own land. I'm going to bless you in it. Now there's, there's a condition here. If you trust me, you're going to be blessed. But if you rebel against me, if you forget me, if you go worshiping other false gods, you're going to suffer the consequences. Because the whole world is at stake here. Through you, the Messiah is going to come. And through the Messiah, the whole world is going to be blessed. So I've got to keep you on the straight and narrow. So at times, I'm going to bless you and you obey me. But I'm going to discipline you, the nation, when you fail to trust me. Because the whole world's at stake here. I've got a plan. And through you, I'm going to send the Messiah. Well, I don't know how you are in your personal walk with God. But ancient Israel had their good days. They had their bad days. Some days they were walking with God and everything was great. Other days they forgot God, compromised their faith, got into sin, and started loving things and, and, and people more than they loved God. God called it idolatry. So God would send prophets to them over and over, preachers to say to them, what you're doing is wrong. And if you don't repent and get right with God and put Him first in your life, and if we don't put God first in our nation as Israel... God's going to chasten us. He's going to raise up some pagan culture to punish us. And wouldn't you know it, they would fail to repent, and God would allow Israel to be chastened. Not to destroy them, but to humble them and bring them back to God. This book that we're going to read today, Nehemiah, this is taking place about 445 B.C. So about 445 years before Jesus was born, we have Nehemiah. Go back 140 years prior to that, so about 586 B.C., God did what he kept warning Israel he was going to do for centuries. They wouldn't repent, so he allowed a nation, the Babylonian Empire, to come and conquer southern Israel, Judah. Decimated the city of Jerusalem, tore down the temple, tore down the walls, took captives back to Babylon in modern-day Iraq, and there for 70 years, a whole generation of Jewish people lived in exile from the promised land. And during that time, God humbled them and broke them and made them realize the error of their ways. But after 70 years of captivity in Babylon, God raised up another empire to conquer the Babylonians. He raised up Cyrus the Great, the Persian king, the Persian emperor, to overthrow the Babylonian empire. So now Persia is the world superpower. And Persia inherits all the captive people that Babylon had captured, including the Jewish people. But the Persian king decides, I'm going to let some of these Jews go back home. You get to worship your God, just be true and loyal to me as the emperor, but you get to go back to your your hometown, you get to rebuild your temple, go back and rebuild your walls. And for about 90 years, some of the Jewish people had gone back to Israel. And in fits and stops and starts, they had tried to rebuild, but had not been successful. Now, Nehemiah, his dad, was born, uh, was uh, taken as captive to Babylon. Nehemiah was born in Persia. He had never been to Jerusalem, but he was worried about his people. So there's your history lesson, Nehemiah chapter 1, and I want us to begin reading with verse 1. That's always a good place uh, to begin reading, Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1. It says, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, 
the citadel. Now get the picture here. Nehemiah is working for the Persian emperor. And there he is in what we would consider the month of November or December. The month of Kislev in the Jewish calendar would correspond to our November, December. And he is in Susa, the citadel. This is the, the, the winter palace of the Persian kings. This is where they would come uh, and, and enjoy the weather. And it's the 20th year of Artaxerxes' reign. And there Nehemiah is. Verse 2. And it says, It was in that 20th year that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. So his brother comes to see him at the Winter Palace. And he says, give me news from the homeland. Give me news from Judah. How's it going there? In fact, he specifically asked about the people and the place. I want to know what's going on with the Jews who escaped the Babylonian and the, the Persian exile and they're back in the land. How are they doing? And how's Jerusalem? How's the city going? I've, I've heard rumors that they're rebuilding. How's it going? Verse 3, And they said to me, The remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. More than 90 years has passed since they've been allowed to go back and rebuild and yet still their disgrace. The walls are burned and broken down. The gates are burned and non-functioning. It is a picture of a broken city that has no government, no walls for protection, no gates that are functioning to provide protection at night and commerce by day. This is a terrible scene. What's going on? And Nehemiah responds by facing the facts of the brokenness that he sees in his culture. He had to face those facts. The people of Israel are not doing well. And the place of Jerusalem is not doing well. Broken people and a broken place. And dear friend, I think one of the first steps before we can ever be used of God to address the brokenness of our world is we've got to face the facts. Because as long as we are not facing the facts, we can just assume we don't need God. We're not as desperate as we ought to be for God. As long as we think we've got everything under control, things are going along fine, we don't need to shake things up, we don't need to really get serious about this thing, we're never going to be used by God to fix broken people or broken places. Nehemiah had to face the facts. And I'm wondering, what are those facts that you need to face? Can I tell you, maybe it's time you face the facts that the marriage is broken. You can't keep doing business as usual. It is time you call out on God. Maybe it's time to recognize my family life is broken. And it's time I take responsibility as the father or as the husband in my home to say, God, this can't keep going on. I don't know what to do about it. But God, I, I can't just keep ignoring that. I'm not the dad or I'm not the husband. 
out to be. Maybe it's time to face the facts that this alcohol has gotten a hold of me. And it has power over me and I'm getting addicted and enslaved. This is not helpful in my life. And I don't know what to do about it, but I've got to face the facts. There's something wrong here in my life. And I'm going to tell you something about church world in America. There are churches all around us that need to get their proverbial heads out of the sand and realize America needs Jesus more than ever. And I don't mean politics. I mean we need Jesus. The world needs something far greater than a donkey or an elephant. They need the Lamb of God. The Lord Jesus Christ. And yet there are churches with their heads in the sand. And if 1950 comes back, they're ready, buddy, to do something for Jesus. But their favorite hymn is, we shall not be, we shall not be moved. And they're ignoring the brokenness all around them. And it doesn't seem that they face the facts of what's going on around them in our culture. Nehemiah can no longer run, he can no longer hide, he can no longer believe that the rumors, things are going well, are true. Now he has first-hand eyewitness testimony that things are not going well. And the first step to God using us is we have to face the facts. The second step to God using us, we have to feel the pain. We have to feel the pain of that brokenness. Verse 4 Nehemiah continues, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Having faced the facts, Nehemiah now feels the pain. Nehemiah was driven to his knees in grief and mourning and heartfelt prayer. Nehemiah could have been like so many people today, just totally apathetic to what he saw. Yeah, I've read the statistics. Yes, I know what you're saying. Yes, I know that there's a lot of people that need Jesus. Yeah, I know there's a lot of brokenness in our world. But what's that to me? He could have been like the bumper sticker that I saw one day on the back of a truck Apathy is rampant in America, but I don't care. He could have been like that, but no, he is driven to his knees because he knows God cares about that brokenness and Nehemiah has to care about that brokenness. And look at the pain that he is experiencing. He says, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down. This is not just taking a break. He sits down. My granny would say he plopped down. That's when you know you're overwhelmed with grief or you're just flat out tired. Not when you just sit down, but you plop down. (laughs) He sat down and he wept. The word in the Hebrew means to mourn with deep grief. I know that they say that men don't cry, but I'm going to tell you something, that's a lie. Men cry when they love enough. And men cry when they're hurting and broken enough. The writer of Ecclesiastes says there is a time to weep. And Nehemiah is weeping 
and he is mourning over something he has lost. He's mourning, he's grieving over a dream that has died. I thought things were this way, but I've discovered they're not, they're worse. And he's mourning. But then he also starts taking active steps to seek God. Because he says, and I continued fasting. Now, if you ever go to a doctor and they want to do blood work, they will typically say to you, I need you to fast. So from this time to when you come for the blood work, I, don't, I need you to, to abstain from food. And, and I need you to fast. So we often will abstain from food for medical reasons. But for Nehemiah, he was abstaining from food for spiritual reasons. Number one, he's heartbroken. Have you ever tried to eat when you have no appetite? And he has no appetite. It can't be business as usual for Nehemiah. But he's also saying, rather than eating, I need to spend that time talking to God. I need to focus on the spiritual now more than the material. And so he starts fasting and praying. He starts talking to God. I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven, in the presence of the God of heaven, under the authority of the God of heaven. He is desperately seeking God. Following Hurricane Katrina in 2005, the Chicago Tribune reporter Lolly Bowen uh, ran an article about churches in New Orleans that had been devastated by the hurricane and the flooding and the aftermath. And so she documented many of those churches and what they were experiencing. She went to White Dove Fellowship International Outreach Center in New Orleans, and she interviewed the pastor and attended a service. And on that day, after Katrina, there were 300 people rattling around in this massive building that used to seat on regular days over 3,000 people. But after the storm, those people had been dispersed. Some of them had died. Some of them would never return to New Orleans, having been evacuated. From 3,000 one Sunday to just 300 in a dilapidated building the following Sunday. And in the Chicago Tribune, she quoted the pastor as saying to his church, We used to sing... Jesus is all we have, is all we need, and now Jesus is all we have. And rather than seeing that as a devastation, as a defeat for his church, he said the good thing about Katrina is we realize that song is true. When Jesus is all you have, you realize he's all you need. And he said to his church, from this day forward, we're going to view all of those scattered church members as missionaries God has sent out into the world. And he's going to use them for good. And we are just going to rebuild. Can I tell you, maybe this morning some of you are feeling the pain of the brokenness of your life or the brokenness of our culture or the brokenness of our neighborhood. And it's driven you to your knees where you recognize not only is Jesus all we have because the problems and the needs are bigger than any of us. You've also discovered today Jesus is all we need. 
that he is still a master builder. That carpenter of Nazareth who built no homes down here is still rebuilding lives through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he wants us to feel the pain so that we can be a part of his plan. So you face the facts. What's the reality of your relationships? What's the reality of the brokenness around you? You feel the pain. What's driven you to your knees in prayer? What's broken your heart lately? What's compelled you to feel the burden? And then, thirdly, if you want to be used of God, you've got to focus on God. You've got to focus on God and seek God for the solution to the brokenness because it's too big for me. It's too big for you. We've got to focus on God. We don't have time to elaborate on all these verses, but I want to read the last part of chapter 1, and I want you to hear how Nehemiah is seeking God for the solution. He's never faced a challenge like this. He's not sure what to do. So all he knows to do is to talk to God. Someone asked the great Elizabeth Elliot, what do you do when you don't know what to do? She said, when you don't know what to do, do what you know to do. Just keep doing what you know to do until God gives you new orders. And what Nehemiah knew is he doesn't know what to do other than to do what he knows to do, which is to pray. And so he prays. Listen to his prayer. Verse 5, And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which, notice this, we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. What man is he referring to? He says, now I was cupbearer to the king. Do you hear what Nehemiah is doing? Nehemiah is focusing on God. He is seeking God for the solution. He's saying, God, I know that you're a promise-keeping God. I know you're a good God. I'm going to come to you on the basis of your mercy, not our merit. God, we've gotten exactly what we deserve because we've rebelled against you. You warned us this would happen. You promised and you kept your word. So I'm not coming to you saying, look at who we are. We deserve better. God, I'm not coming based on my merit or our merit as the Jewish people I am, however, going to plead to you based on your mercy. You're a promise-keeping God. You're a loving God. And you said that if we would repent and come back, you would restore us. God, restore us. 
Do you also notice something else he's doing? He's not just complaining. He's saying, God, I want to be a part of the solution. God, hear the prayer of your servant. God, I'm here to serve you. What do you want me to do about the brokenness? I'm not going to go to the church and say, the church ought to be doing A, B, or C. And now, Ricky, that's your job to do. That's what people love to do. You know, the church really ought to be doing something. Now, you get on that, Ricky, and they go home. And often, that's what people want to do. And they think they prayed about it. No, you haven't. You're just complaining. You know, the difference between complaining and prayer is complaining makes no difference. But prayer says, God... How do you want me to be a part of the solution? I'm your servant. Put me to work. What can I do to be a part of the solution? Not just to complain about the situation. And Nehemiah is praying, God, I don't know what to do. But I'm going to ask you, work in the heart of Artaxerxes. I work for him. I need you to work in him. As the cupbearer to the king, it was Nehemiah's job to taste the wine and to taste the food before the king ate it to protect the king from assassination. And in that culture, if you walked into the presence of the king and you looked downcast, you could be killed by bringing the king down like that. You do not come into the presence of the king with a downcast face. And so Nehemiah is saying, God... I need you to work in him. I don't know what you want to do, but I'm laying my life, my career, my future, my own safety into your hands. Whatever you decide to do, I'm ready to do it. Dear friend, heartbreaking pain ought to lead to heartfelt prayer. And that's what happened in Nehemiah. And if you want to rebuild something in your life, You've got to let that heartbreaking pain lead you to heartfelt prayer. And Nehemiah didn't pray just one time, two seconds, and then he was done. He prayed for months seeking God's face before God then gives him the next step that he was to take. What is it that you are going to pray about this week? What need, what brokenness, what problem is going to drive you to your knees in prayer and desperation? and submission to God. Identify a problem in your life. Feel the pain of that problem. And then, dear friend, focus on God for the solution. Let's pray together. While your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed. Maybe this week your homework is going to be to face the facts about something broken. Feel the pain of it. And then rather than sit there in despair... Focus on God through prayer. That's your homework this week. Will you do that for your own life? Will you do that for our church? If you're a follower of Christ, remember, heart-breaking pain ought to lead to heartfelt prayer. How's your prayer life going? And maybe today you're not even a follower of Jesus and you're thinking, I'm not sure if I believe in God. How could there be so much bad in the world? Well, dear friend, stop complaining. There's a God, and he wants you to be a part of the solution. And he wants other believers to be a part of the solution. So why don't we let that heart-breaking pain drive us to heartfelt prayer? Maybe for you, if you're not even sure there is a God, your prayer is going to be, God, I'm not sure if you're out there. But if you are, 
Let me be a part of the solution. Let me know that you're there. Speak to me. But for those of us who know Christ as our Savior, maybe our prayer is this. Dear God, we admit to you that there is much brokenness in our lives, our relationships, our communities, our church, our world. And it's easy for us to complain, but rather we should confess we're a part of the problem. There's more that we could have done, but God, we come to you, not on our merit, but on your mercy. And we ask you, God, lead us, guide us. Let us be a part of the solution. What do you want us to do differently in the future than what we've done in the past so that you can work through us and in us to rebuild broken people, broken places? Father, we know that through Jesus Christ, you've got a plan that one day you will restore all things to yourself. But in the meantime, you want to use us to rise up and to build. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.